This episode of AI Meets World is brought to you by Microsoft, making artificial intelligence accessible globally. Keep listening to hear how Microsoft is designing trusted AI innovations that extend and empower human capabilities around the world. Hey, Navneet, do you ever think about how the world envisioned in the Jetsons leads perfectly into the world imagined in Star Trek The Next Generation? Uh, I can't say that I have. You know, it's, it's cool to think about how the technology of a time period inspires their sci-fi with the problems it needs solving then. So it's like the science fiction helps us imagine what a new future might look like. And then over time, computer scientists and inventors actually make those things happen. And are inspired by it. You can't tell me that the Razor phone doesn't exactly look like a communicator from the first Star Trek series. Right. The yes. flip phone, right? Exactly. So it's like our fictional technology gives us a blueprint for what happens in reality. And it's so interesting to see how we fictionally solved some of our most basic day-to-day -day frustrations and annoyances so that we can focus on doing the stuff humans are best at. I mean, who would Iron Man be without Jarvis? No one. And what would Jordy LaForge do without his visor? Is Joaquin Phoenix's character in her a better personal letter writer for having known Samantha? These are important questions. They are. And a lot of those science fiction examples can seem really far out, yeah. but we're actually much closer to a world in which digital personal assistants will change the way we live. And that's because of this thing called artificial intelligence, ah. the capacity for computers to learn and make decisions on their own. Is that the textbook definition? Well, that's my definition. Okay. AI is actually surprisingly difficult to define. People used to think about artificial intelligence as an independent computer, like, you know, an intelligence on its own. Yeah, and I mean, that's what we saw in sci-fi previously, right? right? Yeah. Now they're closer to algorithms that can make decisions and also teach themselves. So that they can build on the experience that they had previously. Right. Got it. But it's the kind of thing that has grown from just a vague fictional concept to being quite real in a shockingly short amount of time. Yeah. And it's now affecting a whole range of fields from how doctors practice medicine to how people are working and learning to even how we think about the environment. And th there are so many new questions as our world is automating and our industries are evolving at warp speed. I mean, the shelf life for most technology is five years at most. So with this podcast, we're here to talk about the technical revolution and reveal the people behind the AI around us. Welcome to AI Meets World, a new podcast from Microsoft and the Globe Content Studio. I'm Navneet Nalang, and I've been a technology and culture writer for over a decade. And I'm Becky Shrimpton. I'm an actor, writer, pop culture podcaster, and consumer of absurd amounts of media content. This week, we're exploring how AI personal assistants can help people in some unexpected ways. How is a Roomba like Rosie from the Jetsons? How close are we to using AI to help people with disabilities? And what does the future of business look like when personal assistants are digital? All of us need a little help sometimes. And these days, it's easy to take for granted the little digital assistance in our pockets. What do you use yours most for? Well, I used to have a great sense of direction, and now I cannot find my way anywhere without my phone. Me too. I can barely navigate back to my own home, especially after a long night out. Mm -hmm. But we can do great things with them too, like remind us that we need milk when we're near a grocery store and ask us to dim the lights when we want to set the mood. <laughs> or just, you know, feed it ridiculous phrases to see how it's going to respond for entertainment when we're bored. Uh, have you ever asked one what zero divided by zero equals? No. Oh, it's great. Do it right now. Pause this podcast. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you're back? Great. Uh -huh. But what if the way you interacted with the world depended on a digital assistant for one of your senses? Enter Saqib Sheikh, a Microsoft engineer who launched the app Seeing AI with Microsoft in 2017. Here's Saqib. 
I am blind myself. And a few years back, I was just thinking how great it would be if I could have an artificial intelligence assistant which would describe what's around me in the same way that when I'm with a sighted friend, we'll be walking along and they'll tell me what they see or what interests me. And I thought, what if AI could do that? And we're a long way from that vision, but that's what we're working towards. So uh, in its current state, what does the app do? Okay, so he said it's attempting to support a visually impaired person in all the same ways that a sighted friend might. So it has a bunch of different channels, as Saqib calls them, including reading text or handwriting, identifying people or currency, describing your surroundings, and even detecting how much light is in a certain area. Yeah, check this out. I'm playing with this all day. Ready? Here we go. Wait, can you explain how that works? Okay, so... The higher the pitch, the more light there is. So when you're covering your camera, the tone goes down. But when you hold it up to like a bright window, the tone goes up. That's incredible. I know. Tell me about it. This thing is so much fun. (laughs) (laughs) But when you say that it can identify people, you don't mean by name, right? Uh, It's not quite there yet. It's not like, hey, Becky got a haircut and she looks fabulous, which I did, by the way. Thanks for noticing. That's true. But uh, it will recognize your face if I add you to the database. So it'll be like, hey, that's your buddy Nav, and he's five feet away, which uh, is good because I like a little bit of personal space. No offense. (laughs) (laughs) So if I wanted to identify you, I take a photo of you like this. Here we go. One face near center, four feet away. There we go. Processing. 43-year-old man with a beard looking happy. (laughs) Do you look happy? Is that your happy face? That's disarmingly accurate, I have to say. I like it. So I'm saving it. Yeah, it's accessing my photos. Okay, great. Yes, you look lovely. Thank you. You're welcome. It's a good shot. Uh, In the interest of fairness, why don't we try it on you as well? Okay. One face near center, one foot away. Processing. 28-year-old woman with black hair wearing glasses looking neutral. Neutral. That's not something I've ever heard before. Usually my face is like an open book, Nav. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Does it always use that Star Trek voice? Actually, it's got more than that. Select voice. Here we go. You ready? Yes. Okay. So this is uh, Arthur. Hi, my name is Arthur. Okay. So it kind of sounds a bit like you. Uh, And then I've got uh, Moira. Hi, my name is Moira. And if you want uh, your own Samantha that you can talk to. Hi. My name is Samantha. I mean, it's not quite ScarJo, but it's uh, it's low and raspy. I get it. Well, I mean, I'm a bit of a sucker for an Irish accent, so I'm going to say Moira. Moira. You're, you're a man for a Moira. Mm-hmm. All right, I follow that. And you can also pick the speed if you want them to speak to you fast or slow. 60%. 70 70%. 80%. 90%. 30%. <laughs> I don't know, but that was the greatest thing ever. So, I mean, for us, this is a little bit kind of fun and a little bit silly. But... Oh, it's so great. <laughs> It's almost like choosing a different voice for your GPS. But for the blind or the visually impaired, this is going to make a huge difference to how you experience the world, right? Oh, yeah, totally. Well, as you heard, Saqib mentioned that he himself is blind, which means he can probably understand or predict that user experience much better than a sighted developer. Here's Saqib. Whenever developing solutions like this, it's really important that the engineers and scientists come together with the people who know about the challenges. And to some extent, I have a bit of both of those worlds in myself. So in addition to having the technology, the AI, we also needed to understand what are the real world problems people have. You can develop the technology, but when you put it in front of users, you then 
get to learn all the awkward things about the messy real world. And sometimes that is, how is it going to integrate into people's lives or integrate into what people are familiar with? So actually using a camera was brand new to many of our users. So we had to make sure that the app would work when things were upside down or very close or very far or blurry. Once you go out of the lab, you realize all these different aspects of the real world. And to me, that's one of the most fun things. Okay, so the whole photo framing thing is something that, as a sighted person, didn't even occur to me. If you can't see an object, how can you frame or focus or even make sure you're pointing the camera in the right direction well enough for the AI to identify it? Yeah, and this is actually a a big issue with AI because it's always about input or output. What people in the field would sometimes refer to as garbage in, garbage out. That is, if you put bad information into an AI system, you will get bad results out of it. Okay. So, for example, if you're going to put a blurry photo into this system, you might not get accurate results. Okay, so it's all trial and error. Yeah, this is kind of the way that AI works, that you keep pumping information into a system and gradually it learns to get more accurate over time. Yeah, but for example, with seeing AI, you have to think about the other messy parts of the real world. Like, even if you've covered the framing issue, the real world doesn't always look tidy and identifiable. How many different dog breeds are there in the world? And then mixes of those dog breeds. How do you identify what kind of dog you're looking at? This is an important thing to me. But Saqib had a great example of the solution to this. We train the system based on many photos and we describe what's in each photo. And over time, it learns the patterns. So taking the currency recognition as one example, we might show it many $10 bills and say, hey, this is a $10 and this is a $10. And the different lightings and different orientations and even upside down or folded in half. and the AI learns that pattern of what is it that made that a $10 bill. We're teaching it to recognize those patterns so that it can recognize it again when it sees it next. Then there were unexpected things like with Canadian dollars, there's a transparent part in the bills. So therefore, we had to make sure that it would recognize it regardless what you could see through the transparent part. And I can only imagine the multicolored extravaganza that is our currency causing all sorts of hiccups. Yeah, well, why don't we see how the app does? Okay, <laughs> this is the best. All right, here we go. So I've got it on the currency. 20 Canadian dollars. Whoa, oh, look at works. that. Canadian dollars. Cool. Level two test. I have got my coffee behind the transparent part. Let's see if it'll still pick it up. 20 Canadian dollars. Still works. Yeah, that's really cool. Looks like that feature doesn't need any more work. It's solved. See, that seems really important for helping blind people be independent. Totally. And Saqib told me so many stories about how the app's being used in ways he didn't predict. Uh, He told me about one user who used the app to read the subtitles in foreign language films in real time using the text reader function. And he just sets it up behind him so that it can see the TV. It's pretty cool. Oh, my God. And there's another story about a teacher who's taught the app their students' names and mounted their phone by the classroom door so it announces who's coming into class every morning. It's like, Susan! She's late again. (laughs) (laughs) But there's one story that I found most impactful, and this happened in Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria in 2017. A professor there used the app really regularly out of his window to describe his view. And every day it would say, bridge over a body of water. And then one day he uses the app as usual, and it just says, 
a body of water. Oh <laughs> and God. so he calls his wife over who's sighted and she's all like, the bridge has swept away. We got to get out of here. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. And and then in dealing with the hurricane, the app helped him get around the whole new environment. And he was OK. I mean, as OK as you can be in a hurricane. Here's the key. He was able to use seeing AI to give him an idea of whether the pathway was clear, which is, you know, the AI is nowhere near good enough to recognize everything. But he knew what to expect and he knew how to interpret the information he got back. And hearing a story like that is just so touching and incredible. It's actually keeping him safe. And the same tech that Saqib is developing for seeing AI can be leveraged in non-disability settings too. As we train the AI to recognize more and more things, this technology is useful across so many different industries and purposes. My focus is on disabilities, and you might imagine, for example, that emotion recognition is useful for people with autism, but then also recognizing text is something that everyone needs. So as the scientists at Microsoft build these things, they're available to the public to build into their own apps and their own solutions across all aspects of business and life. For example, we are recognizing objects in your environment, but you could imagine a business using this to look at parts on an assembly line to detect any faults. So as artificial intelligence continues to get better year on year, I'm really excited to see how people apply this to their own areas, and especially in this area of disability. We each have our own abilities and our own challenges. And if we can teach computers to interpret the world around us and present it to us in the way that suits us most, then that can truly create that inclusive environment. I thought that was really cool. And I think it's important to have these perspective shifts, especially from people who actually have these disabilities and see things in a way we wouldn't. Yeah. And Saqib's disability in this case was an advantage in him developing this app. As someone who's blind, technology is not just nice to have or convenient, but it's essential because it's the way that I can write printed text or read all the information on the internet. And growing up with all this technology around me, things like screen readers and so forth, really showed me the power of technology to make an inclusive environment, to be an equalizer and to empower people. That is fascinating. Yeah, it really is. Next up, we're going to hear about how AI personal assistants are going to automate your workday. And we're not talking about your coffee maker. But first, a word from Microsoft. We're living in a time of massive change, and the signs are all around us. It's in our businesses making sense of big data, in our hospitals as new technologies help doctors diagnose and prevent illnesses, and, and even in our homes as devices streamline your day so you can focus on what matters. This is the invisible revolution, and it's powered by innovative technologies. Microsoft is integrating artificial intelligence across all its products and services to extend the capabilities of individuals and organizations. With a powerful, trusted platform of AI services and tools, they're transforming business and enabling innovation. They believe in an AI future that makes things better for your planet, your business, and you. Join the AI revolution with Microsoft and achieve more. 
So we've seen how AI can be extremely powerful when it comes to accessibility. Yeah, like getting you through a hurricane powerful. Yeah, but there are a lot of other practical applications as well. So how is AI going to change your workday? That's something I think about a lot. Right. In 2014, Roy Pereira faced a conundrum. His company had been acquired by a larger organization, and he suddenly found himself and his team unhappy and ineffective. Ugh. Yeah, his employees started leaving. So he started to do some research, and he realized that one big shift after the merger was the lack of support staff, that is, like, assistance to help people. Yeah. So suddenly Roy and his team were without their HR support, their IT support, and they found themselves drowning in administrative tasks like scheduling and organizing. How do you get anything done? Here is Roy. I was spending quite a lot of my day on very mundane, low-value tasks instead of actually doing my, my high-level job. And my team was experiencing the exact same thing. And so you look back and you go, what have I accomplished today? Not a lot. And I realized that it wasn't just the company I was at that had that issue. It was most North American enterprises. They became lean. Hiring support staff became taboo. And so I said, why don't we automate a lot of this low-value tasks that we have to do every day? And I want to flag here that admin tasks are not low-value in terms of skill or worth. I've done them myself. It's a long day. Definitely. Good point. But I think that what Roy is trying to say here is that the constant sort of back and forth when it comes to kind of scheduling a meeting or setting up a meeting room tend to take away from the creative work that people want to do. Okay, I get that. So... What he did is he set out to develop a software that could kind of cover those tasks. And in 2016, he launched Zoom.ai, which is an automated assistant for the office. Okay. So I talked to Roy about how Zoom.ai might change how we work. So the solution that we came up with really was to clone an executive admin. We started thinking about what admins do during their workday to help their manager. Most of it is around scheduling meetings, rescheduling them, getting someone prepared for those meetings. So we built that, and the real innovation came in when we wanted to have the solution act like a real person, because that's what we're used to. Lots of people are concerned about jobs being replaced by AI, but he's saying that those jobs are already being lost because companies are scaling down. Right, and I think that the point that he's trying to make is that AI, instead of replacing jobs, will augment the jobs that exist now. Okay, great. And as he said, what they're trying to do is to get AI to be as close to an executive assistant as possible. Roy even named his Dolores after the executive secretary for the president in the West Wing. Okay, there's a cut, I understand. Uh, So they get to name them. That's an interesting way to humanize these. Yeah. So Roy mentioned scheduling and rescheduling, which, as anyone who works in an office will tell you, takes up so much time. Oh, I can relate to that. I run my own business, and scheduling a bunch of people for a meeting is very challenging. It's a pain. And it also does other stuff, so that if your company uses Zoom.ai, it will pull information for your company's databases, like its calendar, its documents, and more. Okay. The whole app is built on Azure Cloud, which is Microsoft's cloud platform. So when your company uses Zoom.ai, all the info is right there, rather than having to turn around and interrupt your colleague to say, hey, where's the vacation policy. Because I really need a drink on a beach. <laughs> so how does it do that? Does it does it talk to you like seeing AI? Because that's like my favorite thing. No, because in an office that would probably be very annoying to have everyone's voice assistant going off like that. Your vacation is in two weeks. It's like a <laughs> countdown. I love it. So instead, the way that it works is through text, right? So it works on chat. It works in email. It's integrated with Microsoft Teams, with Skype, and a number of other platforms as well. That's great. 
One of the most interesting things about Zoom.ai is they built their own NLP system, which is actually quite unheard of. Okay, uh, I have an arts degree, and I'm going to need you to break down what NLP is for me. No problem. NLP is natural language processing. So that's the way that AI can interpret and even sometimes replicate human language. And it's actually one of the biggest and most important developments in AI recently, because what it does is that it forms the bridge between the complexity of AI on one hand and the way that humans actually think and speak. Okay. So, Zoom.ai needs really specific NLP because their product is so chat-based, right? So the AI needs to be able to understand really concise messages and sometimes even emojis. Yep, yep. Becky, how do you text? Are you a long texter or are you short? Oh, I am definitely more Homerian than I am haiku. I have to think about that one for a second, but I get what you're saying. Okay, great. I tend to be a very short texter, and I use emojis like someone much, much younger than me. So if I have an assistant, it has to be able to figure out what I mean quite quickly, and it has to understand those emojis as well. Okay, Nav, what's your most used emoji? Uh, I'm not going to lie. Usually just the embarrassed face. Oh, amazing. So I actually use the fried shrimp thing because my last name's Shrimpton, so that's how I, like, mark all of my emails. I'm like Prince. I got my own symbol. So it makes sense that they had to develop their own NLP, and they have been iterating on it since their launch in 2016, and now they report a 90% success rate, which is actually quite strong. Yeah. Yeah. The major issue is training data, and when you talk about AI, that's always the case. Uh, You just don't have enough training data. And so we spent at least 12 months opening the product up for free for anyone to use. Just come on in, test it out. And the main reason was that we wanted their training data. We wanted to see what they were saying. And we would manually train the system from what we saw, from the millions of chats that we had. We even had times when people were swearing at it. So we had to build an entire training system on analyzing and understanding swearing so that we could learn and then bring them back to being more productive than just swearing at us. Okay, so I can't help but wonder with us having more machines in the workplace, if people are already swearing at the machines, I know I've sworn at a printer, I can't help but wonder if there's going to be a level of civility lost if this is how we're already talking to our machines. And I think that that is going to be one of the things that we're going to have to deal with in the workplace. For Zoom.ai, once they had cracked the swearing problem, though, they went on to bigger challenges like going international and multilingual. And now they support five languages. Cool. We were very concerned about opening this up to the larger global audience because at the beginning it was only English. And we weren't sure that our version of English, Toronto English, was the only English that people spoke. (laughs) And even in Toronto, there's so many different cultures and, and people's backgrounds. So we opened it up slowly and we learned about how people spoke. So uh, people of British descent wouldn't call it a calendar, they would call it a diary, right? Which as over here we would look at a diary as something completely different. Okay, and that's so interesting to think about how complex it would be to train AI to deal with regional colloquialisms. Like, for example, I lived in BC for a long time, and there was a family I knew from Squamish that used the word skookum. And it's it's a saying that means uh, everything is all right. Everything's going to be good. You know, it, it's skookum. Right. And, and language can even be familiar. I know in my family we refer to flipping channels so fast that you can't see what's on any of the stations as blipverting. That's great. Yeah, and to use it in a sentence, it's like, Rebecca Shrimpton, stop blipverting and pick something to watch. You can not watch everything at once, which also makes me think about slang terms and how fast they evolve, like uh, the term FOMO. Coming from a bilingual family, that resonates with me a lot. How much does your mother lecture you in Punjabi? Uh, Quite a lot. Conveniently, I don't understand half of it, so that works. (laughs) But getting back to the workplace, if your bot is your executive assistant, it needs to figure out what you mean. And there are other ways that it can personalize for the worker that it's assisting. 
Say something like, um, I need a coffee with Pippa next week. And you'll know who Pippa is. You'll know where I like to have coffee. It knows when, uh, like the time range, when I like to have coffee. I don't have coffee in the afternoon. And then you'll go ahead and take care of all of it. And more than just the coffee thing, it can also learn things like where you like to get a drink after work or your favorite conference room for a meeting or how long it will take you to travel somewhere. And it will account for that in your schedule. That, uh, that sounds a little creepy to me. Well, we haven't gotten to the best part yet. Just wait. So let's say that you schedule a meeting using your AI assistant. Okay. One of the things that it can do is send you a package of information about the person you're about to meet. Okay, so this is like Googling someone before you date them. Yeah, exactly. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Here's Roy. We don't know anything about the person you're about to meet because we don't have any of their data. They're not uh, a user of Zoom.ai. So we actually have to go to the internet. We're actually going through some structured data sets to figure out who the person is, what their Twitter ID is, what their Facebook ID is, all of that. And once we find identifiers, then we'll go and try and figure information out from those sources as well and bring it all back and merge it. And so what you get is about two pages worth of information about who you're about to meet. So he calls it a personality snapshot, like a, like a Myers-Briggs thing? Yeah, it's a bit like that. Okay. So, it, so it bases what it's reading on what is out there in public about you. Roy said they'll even go to trade shows and people will line up at their booth to get their quote-unquote Zoom reading. And you know what? I actually got my own reading at oh, the interview. Oh, really? Okay, I got to know. I got to know. What did it say? Well, I'll let Roy tell you. Okay. So in terms of nav need here, it says he's in Toronto. He has an average influencer level. His current organization is Globe and Mail. And then it gives me a ton of other organizations. Uh, so Random House of Canada I used to work at. Uh, and then some interests. You love cooking, for example, film. Then it gets into the personality snapshot. The first line says, poorly adjusted. Uh, typically, that's, that's a negative personality snapshot. We don't like to talk a lot about those. You can actually turn those off. Uh, very independent, easygoing. And then it gives you some communication recommendation. It says, try avoiding telling them what to do. Avoid placing tight constraints on them. Uh, and it gets all of that information, again, from the way that he writes online. And it, it continues on for um, a second page where it gives me links directly to his websites, his social profiles, photos of him, uh, latest tweets, his last blog post. Um, and then it also tells me who both of us know. So that's a great starting line, and uh, that we're both independent personalities, right? So a lot of information there, obviously because we leave these uh, breadcrumbs all over the internet. Okay, that's a different light to see yourself in, Nav. You don't seem poorly adjusted to me. In fact, I think you're lovely. But I would also never put a tight constraint on you because that's just not the kind of person I am. How do you feel about that? Well, I mean, whether or not I'm poorly adjusted depends on who you talk to. Okay. But one of the things that I pointed out is that a lot of this is based on your Twitter profile. And mine is very sarcastic. It also is very much a performed kind of persona. Okay. And right now, AI just can't account for that. It's sarcasm. It's satire. Yeah, exactly. So it's Zoom.ai, they do understand that. So to account for that, they will do things like weigh Twitter less. Okay, I want to take this back to the idea of Googling someone before you work with them or go on a date with them. You may not have context for the image of them doing body shots in Cancun. <laughs> uh, you don't know how recently that photo was taken, if it's just what they do on a Tuesday night, or if they were even doing that ironically, right? Yeah, but there's some information that would actually be helpful to know. Things like what company do they work for or what kind of work have they done in the past. Okay. Useful information if you have a business meeting with someone. Yeah. But also a profile like that is bound to have its shortcomings. Yeah, replicating the human connection is difficult. 
Um, and Roy doesn't think that Zoom.ai is going to be able to replace anyone, but what he is hoping is that it will make current workers more efficient. And if we're adding more AI augmentation in the office, it means that there's more time for that kind of high level or abstract or creative work. The human stuff. Here is Roy. We really have to start thinking about what humans are really good at. We're not really good at data crunching. And AI is so good at that. And we've already obviously seen jobs like assistants and so forth go away. And so if you look at the trend, you're actually going to go back to an era of where humanities are actually really interesting in the work because computers don't understand empathy and how humans actually really act. Uh, and so we have to stop working like computers. Uh, so now AI is allowing us to go back to being more human and actually accomplishing the jobs that we're hired for. And so you need managers, you need people that can look at someone and understand what they're going through and sit down and talk to them or motivate them. Those aren't going away. There's a lot of value that humans have. We're not going to be relegated down to the beach anytime soon. You know, sorry, we don't need you anymore. You're too slow. Sort of like the movies, right? The Matrix and WALL-E kind of thing. So we've talked a lot about the fears of being replaced by AI. And I like that he brought up a couple movies and how humans will be rendered obsolete by machines. But, but I think he's incorrect about both of these movies. In The Matrix, the machines still need us. They're powering themselves off our dreams and creativity. That's why The Matrix exists, why we need to be plugged in. Right. And, and in WALL-E, our lives have been made better by the machines. We have to learn to exercise more. And hey, who doesn't? But we haven't been put out to pasture. Right. But one of the things that those science fiction stories are responding to is the reality in which technology is just everywhere. Yeah. And one of the ways that we describe that now is a term called ubiquitous computing. I'm going to need you to break that down for me practically. Right. So ubiquitous computing is a concept in computer sciences or just technology in general where computing is all around us and kind of in everything. Okay. It's in our computers. It's in our tablets, in our phones. But it's also in our fridges, our glasses, in our light switches, in speakers. It's all over the place. Your TV is listening to you. Yeah, right? Shh. So we're already living in this world where technology is all around us or it's available at all times. And as of yet, we haven't been replaced. Mm -hmm. But the aim is that we integrate this technology into our lives in a way that doesn't subsume us. Instead, what it does is it makes things better, it makes things easier, and hopefully it makes things more fair as well. And, and like the references to the Jetsons and NextGen that I made at the beginning of this episode, rather than replace us, personal assistants are there to augment us so we can move forward as a society creatively. It gives sight to the sightless and help to the harried. Ooh, nicely put. Thank you. That's my Homerian quality coming out. And if they give personal assistants these adorable little personalities with the voice of Bud Court, like in Electric Dreams from 1984, well, then maybe people will swear at them less. Well, let's hope. Over the rest of the series, working together with AI is going to be a running theme for us. And what does that cooperation look like? And also, how do we work with AI systems so that we can make those sci-fi fantasies reality? Great, because I could totally go for an Earl Grey tea. Hot. Me too. <laughs> we just wanted to say thank you to our guests, Saqib Sheikh and Roy Pereira. Thank you for listening to this, the first episode of AI Meets World, a podcast from Microsoft and the Globe Content Studio. I'm Navneet Lang. And I'm Becky Shrimpton. This podcast is produced by Pippa Johnstone, and executive producers are Stephanie Chan and Kieran Rupp. As we mentioned, this is a brand new podcast, so if you enjoyed the show and want to give us a little e-pop orc, which means I love you, according to the Jetsons, throw us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends, or just mention it to their digital assistants. They'll get the memo. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you can follow along next week when we will see whether or not AI can help us with our biggest challenge yet. What's that? Climate change. Oh boy. 